Good morning and happy Father's Day. It's so good to be here with you. Um, we have bacon at church today, so today is going to be a good day. But pray for our classic service over in the chapel. It's right next door to where we are cooking the bacon. The whole service, they will be smelling bacon. Bacon was outlawed in the Old Testament, I think, just to show us how sweet the new covenant is in Christ, that we can have bacon. That's the only reason to say, say no to it. Well, uh, Men, I want to share with you a quote from our guest speaker at that upcoming men's conference, Jared Lopes. He said this, there is great power in a dad who is willing to show up, mess up, and then own up. Your children don't need you to be perfect. They need you to be present. That's from his book, Dad Tired and Loving It. And so this is going to be a, a fantastic conference for all men, not just dads. And so we hope that you can sign up by texting men to get more information about that. Tomorrow is a more recently appointed federal holiday. It's Juneteenth, June 19th, and this is something that Christians can really get behind and be excited about because June 19th, 1865, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, there were still 250,000 slaves that were still in captivity in Texas, in Galveston, Texas. They were uh, illegally and wrongfully not telling these slaves that they were set free, that the war was over, until a Union General Granger came with 2,000 Union troops to proclaim their liberty, that they were free. And so imagine the surprise after generations of begging the Lord for freedom that they finally received it. And so that became a holiday for many to celebrate. And so something to reflect on for tomorrow. Now, today we are in 1 Samuel chapter 17, in, in one of the most amazing stories in the Bible, David and Goliath. And so if you open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 17, I didn't just pick this sermon because it was a, a Father's Day, but if I did, it would be because David cuts off Goliath's head and holds it up and keeps it as a souvenir. It's kind of manly. It's kind of manly. Listen, it doesn't define manliness, but it's kind of cool, you know? And so this is going to be a, a passage that we are going to see so much the Lord speak to us in. 1 Samuel 17, you can follow along in the, in the notes in our app. And I want to start by reading the whole story, but I'm going to jump around so that we can read that in the right amount of time here. 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines gathered their armies in the valley of Elah, and there came out a champion named Goliath, whose height was six cubits and a span, and he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. He stood and shouted, Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. For 40 days the Philistine came forward. Now David arrives and rose early in the morning, went to the encampment, and Goliath came out, and David heard him say this. All the men of Israel fled from him and were, and were much afraid. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight. And Saul said, you're not able to go. You're just a youth. But David said, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, go and the Lord be with you. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook 
His sling was in his hand, and then he approached. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air. But David said, You come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all may know the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine and put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine and he fell on his face to the ground and when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the, the Philistines as far as Gath. Now, I, I brought up a stone that not on this past Israel trip, but in a previous Israel trip, our group stopped by the Valley of Elah, and we were shown by our tour guide a brook, a stream, where we were able to illegally take a stone from Israel. I'm sure, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure everyone else did the same thing I did. And so I tried to pick the, the most round one that I could find, and our tour guides, when I said, how, how legitimate is this site? He goes, here's the cool thing about Israel. We have kept the names of cities, valleys, and mountains the same for thousands of years. And so I do believe this is the brook where it happened. And there's, you know, a mountain on one side, on the other side, a big valley in between. And you could really imagine what it would be like to be standing there in this historical account that we're reading about today. And so like we read, one of the things that jump out right away when I think about this passage is that our real problems that we face are bigger than we even know. Right, bigger than we even know. Goliath, in verse 4, it says, his height was six cubits and a span. Now, based on the archaeology and the manuscripts that have been discovered, some, some of the manuscripts say four cubits and a span, which would be six foot nine. Other manuscripts say six cubits and a span, which would be nine foot nine. And so the nine foot nine one, we just can't even comprehend. And it could be, you know, it's kind of, the evidence is kind of split on that, but the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Septuagint, the historian Josephus say four cubits and a span. So all that to say is this man was probably a beast of a human that hit the gym a lot more than your pastor does. And he just probably was scary to look at and likely about five inches taller than I am, but just terrifying to look at. And David coming to him as probably five foot nothing uh, approaching as an older boy. And so you can see the difference, whether it was six foot nine or nine foot nine, just how scary. Goliath is the physical manifestation of all of the Israelites' nightmares. Just saying, I cannot believe this. And the Philistines, by waging war on God's people, have set themselves up against the Creator and His purposes. And so I think it's helpful to go back and think about Genesis 3.15 that early prophecy where God spoke to Satan and said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And, and one day, one of those descendants is going to crush your head. And you're, yeah, you're going to bruise his heel. Ultimately speaking of what Jesus did on the cross. But I think Goliath is the serpent's latest attack on God's people. And so it's fitting he dies by a head wound. Goliath's armor in Hebrew the closest way to translate it is, is scale armor. And so it doesn't take too much imagination to think about the serpent when we hear about scale armor here. So Goliath is not only a beast of a warrior, 
but Satan himself backs him, trying to come against God's people. And so Israel's problem was much bigger than they could even see in the flesh. All of us have overwhelming struggles, right? And we're thinking about those this morning, right? Suffering, disappointment, failure, financial health problems, all different kinds of things that may feel so overwhelming, we just think, Lord, it's too much. I don't think I can handle this. And our practical problems, as big as they are, it's not even the complete problem that we have, even though that's discouraging. We add to our practical problems two other problems, our sin nature and our spiritual enemy, the devil. And you're thinking, what an encouraging start to a morning with the Lord. Now listen, it's true though, our real problem is bigger than we even know. And as the story continues, we realize, like the Israelites standing there thinking, what are we gonna do here to overcome? We need to be both powerful and perfect. That, that seems to be the only way to overcome here. Israel had to choose someone that was brave enough strong enough and skilled enough to beat the best warrior alive. Goliath himself said in verse 9, you know, choose a man that will come and fight me, and if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. Well, that's a big if that anyone would be found like this. And when it comes to our practical problems, we often try and make a plan to deal with them. We don't just sit there. We make, we make a plan where we think, how do I turn things around? How do I go from losing to winning here? What, what can I do that if I, if I perform it perfectly will help get me out of this horrible situation? And sometimes with bad news, it just feels impossible. We, we hear terrifying health news and, and we start to panic and then we think, well, if the treatment plan goes perfectly, then maybe, maybe we'll be okay. Or we, we hear big financial news where we think, I, I just, I'm not going to bounce back from this, but, but if I manage to keep working, get a big raise, and, and win the lottery, then maybe I can get past this. So we feel like we're losing at parenting, something I feel like all the time, like, this is a lot harder than you think, and you try and fix it. Okay, if I, if I do this and that and have this conversation, maybe my kids will stop acting like I did when I was younger. And we treat it like, uh, have you ever seen those Dude Perfect videos on YouTube or on, on social media where they do these trick shots where they you know, throw a water bottle or a basketball and it's an impossible shot and they land it and really all we get to see is them landing it on the first try, not the millions of attempts, but we treat our life like that saying, if I, if I can just be perfect, then maybe I can get through this. But this is a lot of pressure. And the truth that scares us is that we aren't sufficient. We aren't perfect. We aren't as powerful as we need to be. Verse 11 says, the Israelites were dismayed, greatly afraid of Goliath and this challenge. And verse 16 says, this went on for 40 days. He would present himself with this challenge, morning and evening, rubbing into their face that, that nobody was strong enough to beat him. If somebody had what it would take to beat Goliath, they would have stood up over 40 days, and yet nobody was able to. And I believe it's because this story, that really the main lesson from the story that we can learn is that the Israelites could not beat Goliath. They couldn't do it, even though they were thinking about it for 40 days. Their silence to Goliath's challenge was brutally honest. And God uses our overwhelming problems to teach us something 
that feels harsh but is so loving that we don't have what it takes apart from God to succeed in life, to overcome our greatest problems. We just can't fix everything no matter how hard we try. And that's, that's devastating to us. And we experience it, all of us, throughout our life, our inability to save a loved one from dying. We would do anything. We would give ourselves, and sometimes we just can't do enough. Our inability to pay back a massive debt that we have can just overwhelm us and, and mess with our minds so much. Our inability to fix a relationship that is broken, even though we've changed and we'll do better and we're sorry, and it just it can't be fixed at times, we realize we can't control life. Some of life's problems are just too big to fix, and that's scary. And really, the Israelites needed a substitute. They needed someone else because they weren't enough. I thought about this recently. Uh, we have a really cool thing that we're rolling out a week from today in our C Kids ministry. So I think it's K through fifth grade. We, we want those students having a good time. We want them memorizing the Bible, bringing their Bibles, you know, doing their worksheets they have at home, showing up to church. When they do those things, they earn something called Sea Kids Bucks. And then they use those fake dollar bills. We already ran it by the FBI. They're totally fine with us um, producing these. And, we, and they bring them to their little counter like they're at a prize table and they get to, to buy something. And it, it's just fun for them as they're putting the effort into memorized Bible verses, they get rewarded for that. Well, we wanted to increase that reward and make it even more fun for them. So if they save up for two or three weeks moving forward, they're gonna be able to, to have a turn at a prize machine, one of those claw prize machines. But based on my experience with my kids, we're not ripping these little kids off. This is a win every time claw machine. And so, of course, we had to test it out. And so we gave all the pastor's kids opportunities to test it out because it's not easy being a pastor's kids. Imagine being Abigail getting her Titus with how often I talk about them. It's not easy for them. And so we give them a little bit of a blessing. So Abigail and Gideon did this and won right away. But then Titus literally four times in a row somehow didn't win on a machine that you would win every time. Now he won this last time here for a particular reason that I want to tell you about. You see, as Titus lost and lost and lost and was so devastated, what he was doing is he was trying to get a little ear of a polar bear that was completely buried by all the toys. He just thought this claw was magical and had AI and would just grab it and yank it out. And I was like, buddy, you gotta, you gotta go for something that's at least possible. It's not, it, it, just because you will it to happen doesn't mean it's going to happen. You gotta get something that's on top. And so he loses and he loses. And our policy will be when a kid loses and see kids, if it's four times in a row, we'll give him another token. We'll tighten the claw to make it even more aggressive. But when he was sitting there all disappointed, I had two options. I could be a preacher and tell him about, hey, life's, life's sometimes not fair. And I could tell my six-year-old about that. But then I sat there and realized, his dad is the lead pastor. And I went and got the key, and I opened the glass prize thing. I yanked the polar bear up, and I put him on top, and I shut it, and I gave him a token. I said, try again, son. <laughs> and the first time after that, he goes, Dad, I did it! I did it! I'm like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Now listen. Listen, he needed somebody to step in and help. He had this goal, he had this desire, and he kept on losing, and it literally, I don't think it would ever have been possible for him to get that polar bear unless I jumped in with the authority and the power to fix the situation. Listen, 
the Israelites needed a substitute. They needed someone else that was powerful and perfect. And we learn from this story that our only hope, even today, is that someone else will step in and help us. So we think, wait a second, if Goliath really was just six foot nine, right, just like a big Shaquille O'Neal, like beast of a person that was strong, Saul was tall. Saul was a head above everyone else, it says in, in 1 Samuel. So maybe Saul, the closest in height and strength, maybe, maybe Saul would step in and save them. And he heard this demand, and people probably looked at him, and yet he didn't step in. He didn't choose to save. He himself was afraid people will let us down. It's not, it's not that we need another person to come in and save us. But David arrives at the battle scene with a different set of eyes and ears than everybody else, even his brothers that are there. David sees Goliath's size, but measures him and compares him to God and isn't worried at all. David hears Goliath's threats and thinks they are ridiculous and dangerous to say against the almighty God himself. And so David goes in on Israel's behalf. He steps in between them and Goliath to be this mediator, this person that would do it for them. But he wasn't a full-grown man. He was a vulnerable, weak, seemingly little boy that stepped up to this, probably, probably an 18-year-old kid compared to Goliath. So ultimately, it seemed like he was going into battle as a sacrificial lamb. Everyone's like, well, he's, he's going to die. There's no way that he can do this. But God used his apparent weakness as a means for victory, and David became their champion. And David, because God is outside of time and because God is pointing us towards Jesus or back towards Jesus, David foreshadows one of his descendants. He foreshadows Jesus, the prophesied son of David or descendant of David that would be the Messiah. And so the story actually can remind us of Jesus. The son of David went to the cross to step in between us and Satan, to step in between us and death, between us and the judgment that was coming upon sin. But he looked weak as he hung there on the cross. He looked defeated as he hung there. He was our sacrificial lamb in that moment, covering our sins. And nobody thought this looked like victory, but he was our substitute in that moment, defeating death, defeating Satan, overcoming our sin as he took it upon his shoulders and received the wrath against sin that we don't have to fear as Christ followers. So our hope isn't that we are the savior of our story or that if we work hard enough, become powerful enough, and we just do things perfect, that somehow we can save ourselves or save our family. That's not our hope. We want to try hard in life and do well in life, but, but with these overwhelming problems, the Lord is reminding us that he will step in for us, that he will fight for us, that we need a substitute. And so as we look at how Saul responded to David, I want us to think through our current overwhelming problem and as we hear Saul and David talk, just try and imagine Jesus saying these things to you as you are overwhelmed, as you feel like what's in front of you is too much. David said to Saul, like Jesus says to us, let no man's heart fail. Your servant will go and fight. 
verse 32. Right, David says, I'll do it. And Jesus says to us, I can help you. This big thing that's in front of you, pray to me, ask me, I will fight for you. I will deliver you. But our temptation is to respond just like Saul did. King Saul looked at him and said, you're not able to, you're just a youth. And we look to Jesus and we're like, thanks, but you're not able to because this isn't a spiritual problem, Jesus. This is a practical problem, a financial problem, a medical problem, right? I, I don't need more Bible and verses and, and pray right now. I actually need something physical right now. And we're tempted to deny Jesus to help us and we try and fix it every other way instead of saying, Jesus, fight this for me. And David reminded Saul, like Jesus reminds us, in verse 36, your servant has both struck down bears and lions to protect the sheep. And Jesus looks at us and says, you may have forgotten, I've already won the greatest battle. I've already had the fiercest fight possible. I overcame fear and anxiety, and I went to the cross on your behalf to save you from your greatest problem, sin. I've already done the biggest battle why do you think I can't help you in this lesser way? Even though it's big for you, it's lesser for me. And Saul's response must be our response. Saul looked at David after hearing that explanation and said, go. And it says, the battle is the Lord's. And, and we have to respond to Jesus and say, I give you permission. I'll, I surrender all to you. I give you the glory if this situation is going to be fixed or redeemed. This is your battle to fight. I, I have a part in it, but this is your battle to fight, not mine. And the cool thing for Christ followers today is because Jesus overcame death and sin, we can overcome by God's grace. With God's help, we can overcome. Now, what's amazing about the Israelites here, and they don't really rub it in for them too much, but when they see Goliath fall, and the Philistines start to flee, all of a sudden now they have courage where they're like, well, man, if the impossible battle has already been won, then yeah, we can fight people our size. We can go and do this. They're running away. We can go and win the battle. And so they join in the fight, and the Bible says they came back afterwards and they plundered the camp of the Philistines. So all of a sudden now they're grabbing all the weapons and everything from the camp of the Philistines and bringing them back home and they receive this blessing only, not because of their bravery, but because David won, right? But because David won, they received this blessing. David oddly took for himself the head of Goliath and took his, you know, sword and spear and some things like that for his souvenirs. But then everything else with the thousands of other tents that were there, it was shared with the rest of the army. You could say it was imputed to them. It was given to them. It was as if they won themselves and they received the victory prize. And that's exactly what happens as we give our lives to Jesus. He fought the great fight. Jesus won and we receive an eternal inheritance that is his. But he gives us that. He gives us spiritual blessings, and it's like we won ourselves when we are in Christ, and he won. Verse 20, or 52 says, the men of Israel rose with a shout and pursued them. You see, they looked at David and his victory, and they were inspired to join the fight. This is who we are in the story. 
When we read this story, we want to say, we are David, and our big problems are Goliath, and we just figured it out. We just became that powerful and strong, and we conquered life's greatest problems. The truth is, in this story, Jesus is David, and we are the Israelites who needed saving. But when we saw Jesus win, when we realized Jesus has already fought the greatest battle, we get inspired to join the fight. And then we get all the rewards and blessing of joining the fight. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And so this is an importantly worded verse. It is God who will crush Satan. Satan already received his, his death blow on the cross and Jesus is being patient right now, waiting for people to trust in him before he comes back for that final victory so that people like us have a chance to choose and believe in Jesus. God is the one who crushes Satan, but look at how he does it today. This was written after the crucifixion. He uses our feet. It's believers who join in the fight and say, I want to be used by God. We're inspired by God. We want to be used by him. And so an important thing as we read the Bible to understand is the Bible isn't about us. It's written for us, but it's not about us. It's about God and his work of redemption that he is doing through Jesus Christ to continually save his people. And so as we read this passage, our response should be asking Jesus to fight for us. We can easily identify our overwhelming problems, these obstacles, these trials, these difficulties that are in our lives that are too much, that we've, we've already tried to fix them and, and we're not enough. We need to go to Jesus and say, will you take it? Will you do something? Will you show me your power? And sometimes God showing us his power is giving us a heart of endurance and patience and peace, even though we should be falling apart. Sometimes we don't get that physical victory that we want now. Instead, we get the peace to endure. And people look at us and say, how could you have peace? How are you okay? And we're a witness to the gospel. And we talk about how God is still good, even though our situation is bad, and how God has a plan in the future to deal with this. And we really are fighting from victory, even if we're fighting from a future victory. There's the victory that happened on the cross, but every believer will have this physical experience one day. We will have a new body, but our same mind and thoughts and spirit, but sanctified, no more sin. And we will exist for what will eventually feel like millions of years in victory with no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sin, no more problems. And after a few million years, we're probably going to look back to this little blip on our timeline, even if it was 100 years, and we'll say, man, that was my time to join in on the fight. That was my time to endure patiently through difficulties. And even though I'm suffering, to go and help others that are, that are struggling, to join in the fight with God. That, that's just a reality. As, as real as this rock is, I brought this in just to remind us, this is a historical story. It's a historical story that happened. Your future in heaven, heaven will be historical. It'll be something you actually experience. And so... Find the inspiration in Jesus to fight for your marriage, to fight for your, your kids, to fight for your family, to fight against injustice, to fight against hopelessness. Whatever it is God is stirring in your heart or wherever you need him most, 
we can turn and fight with God's grace because Jesus already won the greatest battle until we remember and think on that Jesus fought the real giant of sin, the law, and death, we will never have the courage to fight what to us are big things, but to God it's just an ordinary giant of failure, suffering, disappointment, finances. By looking to Jesus, we find our inspiration. And so I know that even though on Father's Day, we're just trying to be thinking about that bacon, we're trying to make it a special day for dads and, and, and smile, even if we're having a difficult time. If today you resonate with this idea of Goliath and your problems really do feel overwhelming, and they're just too big for you, but you don't want to give up. You, just, you want God's help. If that's how you feel, overwhelmed, maybe even hopeless in your situation, then I would love to pray for you. And, I, and I'd love to pray specifically for you. And so if you are feeling overwhelmed and hopeless about a situation, would you just stand so that I could pray for you specifically that God would fight this battle for you? And standing is important because we need to be vulnerable and transparent with each other so that other people even know, I didn't think they were going to stand. I thought things were going good. No, we're all going through something. We're all struggling. We need to bear one another's burdens and help each other. And standing is just saying, I do feel overwhelmed. I actually don't know the solution. I'm supposed to know the solution, but I don't. And I need God's help. So I want to pray for those that have stood. Father, we ask real simply that you would do what you said you would do. We believe that you've already fought the greatest battle on the cross. And so you're going to do these other things for us. Maybe it won't work out exactly how we want it to, but you will be good to us. You'll work it out for good. You promise to give us a peace that surpasses understanding that doesn't even make sense. Endurance and patience to get through these difficult times. And so for everyone that is standing, I pray you would give them patience, endurance, that you'd restore their hope, not because they're suddenly gonna become strong enough or able enough, but because you are God. You are able. You see the beginning from the end. You know how all these things are gonna work together and you use your sovereignty and power and providence for the good of your people and, and for the advancing of your mission. And so for all of those standing, give them peace, give them hope. And we are asking that you would show your power in fighting for them in their overwhelming circumstance. Show off your power, Lord. You're so good and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for those of you that stood. And God bless you guys. Let us go eat some bacon and hang out outside. We'll see you next week.